21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. What is actually diversity, equity and inclusion? So D-E-I and why is it important? Okay, so first of all, we do not talk about uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. We talk about inclusion and inclusion management first. So we are an inclusion management uh, consultancy because at the end of the day, it's really about making everyone feel safe, valued and heard and productive. Uh, but more than more importantly, we talk about going beyond DEI to manage humans for the 21st century. And that's really important because what we're seeing is a change in the talent contract in the 21st century globally. And we have to be relevant globally about this. Typically diversity first efforts while de- you know definitely implemented by very good people, it typically is very US centric. It typically focuses on issues of race and gender, but for global companies that we work with, it's much more important for us to talk about inclusion, creating a positive uh, corporate culture, organizational culture, where everyone can feel that they are being acknowledged and recognized and that they can tr- contribute to the purpose of the company um, or the organization. And that oftentimes globally is maybe a matter of, you know, ethnicity, ethnicity, it might be a matter of cultures, but globally it also might just be a matter of are all the disciplines feeling that they are being included, right? So are the analytics people feeling like they're included? Does IT feel like they're, they're contributing? So we have found that it's really important to focus on creating a corporate culture where not only does everybody feel safe, valued, and heard, but that we are helping companies uh, manage their talent force in a way that the talent feels that they're contributing uh, productively and positively to the mission of the company while still uh, maintaining their humanity, their work-life balance, um, and really you know, ultimately feeling as though they can help whoever they work for be more successful. We want to reduce the resistance that we think diversity first uh, intentions, no matter how good, have, uh, have created in corporate cultures by focusing on targeted differences, more US centric differences. focused on using inclusion management, which is really about getting the right people, doing the right work, elevating their relevant differences so that they can create and innovate uh, for a world that is increasingly multicultural, transcultural, and global. And this is really important because In the 20th century, you know, it was as if those of us who came a professional age in the 20th century were raised by wolves. 
we really did not learn how to truly manage um, the complexity of human talent. And it's, I think it's because of, you know, when, when the Industrial Revolution um, really came of age in the early 20th century. It was all about interchangeable parts, right? It was industrial. It was about manufacturing. It was about, you know, low-skilled labor coming in. And you know what, Martin, you could do the same job that I did. And if I didn't want to do that job, they just bring you in and just because it was a repetitive job, right? Interchangeable parts, interchangeable people. As we've moved to the later part of the 20th century, where I think there were substantial fears around uh, robotics and automation taking over uh, for humans and humans losing jobs and creating structural unemployment, I think those fears were actually fairly unfounded. Yes, those, those, those forces took jobs that were re repetitive, that were part of the interchangeable parts, but what happened was they created um, a wave of new jobs that required the kind of talent that are and capabilities that are uniquely human. Knowledge, information, creativity, innovation, and service. And so what we're seeing is the shift to these, to, to a, 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 an economies that are driven by knowledge, information, service, creativity, innovation. Today's managers are struggling with managing humans, managing those uniquely human capabilities because they aren't interchangeable. You and I aren't the same people. Now we might be put in the same job, but if it's a knowledge job, an information job, just like you're, you know, you're doing this podcast. Well, the way you manage this podcast, even if we were addressing the same subject matter, might be quite different. Might be different in tonality. Might be different in the way that we structure stories. Same thing, same goal, right? But different ways of doing things because you and I are different in our creative capabilities our perspectives, et cetera. It is incumbent upon leaders, company leaders to get this, to manage in the 21st century, you have to manage humans. And we believe that inclusion management strategy is the critical strategy for managing the complexity of the human talent force in the 21st century, because that is going to be required if we're going to unleash the potential of human talent in our businesses and, and drive uh, and drive that and drive growth. What we have often said is that a lot of times people who might be marginalized in a culture, whether it's because of race or gender or some ethnicity or whether it's because they aren't in the, the coolest department. But they are the people that typically send up the red flags 
that something is not working in your culture and guaranteed even the people who might be enjoying the most, you know, the, 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 the enjoying that culture the most, even they may not be getting what they should be getting in order to reach their fullest potential. And so that's very critical. And we, we know, you know, one of the things we all also know is that while we actively, you know, measure uh, employee engagement, you know, employee engagement, while highest global in, 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 in global employee engagement, while highest in the United States, it's still only around 30, 35% on average, if you look at all the engagement studies. Yeah, and, glo- and you know, and globally, you know, outside of the United States, it's around twenty some odd percent. Now, here's the thing: the question is, are we measuring the right thing during this very tumultuous change, right? And I would argue that employee engagement right now; these numbers are re- more reflective of the fact that work, the focus of work, is changing. The 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 ranking of work in somebody's life is changing. And I think the folks in the United States now are starting to realize work may not be the number one thing in my life. I think in Europe and other places globally, that has been that way for a long time. This does not mean, though, that people don't want to do purposeful work. It does not mean they don't want to work. It does not mean they don't want to do purposeful work that contributes to the success of the companies they work for. And this is the major miscalculation of leaders who came of professional age in the 20th century. They, first of all, think work should be number one thing you should be focused on. And they keep talking about it. And if I hear it one more time, I'm just gonna, my head's gonna explode. If I hear one more time a boomer leader, and I'm a boomer, let me just say, I'm sensitive to this, but. If I hear another boomer manager leader, I just heard um, uh, Morning Joe, uh, what's his last name? It'll come to me. But if I hear another boomer say, these people don't want to work anymore. They don't have a work ethic. They don't want to go back to the office. My head is going to explode. This is a major miscalculation and understanding of what is happening in the talent force today. It is not that people don't want to work. They've rejiggered the priority that work takes in their lives, but they still want to work. Many of them want to work hard at things that matter. They want to be acknowledged for that work. They want to make sure that they are contributing to the growth of the company. And so we actually measure in in our top measure, we measure a lot of other engagement. But our top measure is actually, would you recommend working at this company to someone else? What that, that is that, you know, net promoter score, right? That employee net promoter score, because engagement isn't necessarily always a measure of how well or how productive somebody's going to be or, you know, how good they're going to be or how dedicated they are to that company. But that employer net promoter score is the key to understanding whether that employer employer brand is creating talent gravity. 
because the goal here is to try to get the great talent that's out there and have them work for you. And if you aren't creating talent gravity because you don't have an inclusive, positive work culture, then talent is going to do a number of things. They're going to either go work for somebody else, or as we have seen in this current economy, man, people are, they're working for themselves because that's what the knowledge-driven, information-driven economy does, right? It has opened up spaces for individuals to just work on their own. We're starting to see a huge growth in freelance culture, a huge growth in small startups and small businesses, this digital nomad that we're seeing going around the world, right? They're working from wherever and where, whatever they want to do. And many of them are largely working for themselves. And so this is not because they don't want to work hard. It's not that they don't want to do quality work. But what they have found is that they can live the lives they want to live. And they have asked themselves a hard question that, quite frankly, I didn't even ask myself until late in my life, which is, what kind of lifestyle do you want to lead? It's an important question that everybody needs to ask. And a lot of people are answering, I want a less complicated lifestyle, not driven by the accumulation of stuff or the accumulation of money or 5,000 houses or 3,000 boats, which, you know, back in the old days when I grew up, it was 1980s, greed was good, right? You wanted to accumulate stuff. I remember hearing somebody on uh, Fox talking about, well, I don't understand this generation. I couldn't wait to start working and making money. Well, these folks today, they want to make something substantive. They want to be creative. They want to be innovative. Um, making money is actually secondary to living the kind of life that they want to lead. Um, because as one, as, as one person told me, you can only live in one house at a time. You can only sleep in one bed at a time. And I'd much rather uh, accumulate experiences, which are often very customized and a lot less money than owning seven houses. And your approach, uh, if you can go a little bit deeper into uh, intentions, actions, impact. Yes. So, you know, when we see traditional DEI practices, there's a lot of focus on the result of numbers, right? Do we have enough Black people? Do we have enough women? Do we have enough, you know, and, and a lot of furious activity to get those numbers to look right. What we say is those numbers are an output. What you have to do is get inclusion right. And so that means changing the processes and systems that are undermining uh, or that are fostering bias and exclusion and undermining the creativity and innovation you need to drive growth in the 21st century. So we focus a lot on processes and systems that will help companies create talent gravity. That means attracting great talent, hiring great talent, managing great talent. And even if the, that talent might leave because there might not be enough spaces for career growth, you want to make sure they come back to you. And so we talk a lot about move past or go beyond talent engagement and start focusing on talent relationship management. You know, what's really fascinating to me is that many of these companies, they focus so much on nurturing and managing customer relationships 
but their biggest customers are the people that actually work for them. <laughs> and they don't focus at all on managing and nurturing talent relationships. And that's critical in this era where everything depends on the unique, those uniquely human capabilities. So knowledge innovation, service, creativity, innovation. Uniquely human capabilities. You can't, you can't automate that. A robot's not going to do that. And we have to understand that the beauty of technology, robots, you know, AI, automation, it's actually created more demand for those uniquely human capabilities rather than less demands. Because now humans have been relieved of those repetitive interchangeable activities. And now they can focus on the things that really take the human brain, the human sensitivity, empathy, creativity, um, and team and teamwork, right? We don't have teams of robots working together <laughs> to get something done, right? That's not what that's not what robots do. Humans work in teams to produce, um, you know, to produce great things. And one of the things that we try to implement with our clients is a team-based management, talent management um, process, which means we have to stop relying on just one individual or that individual to make a decision about whether this person is the right fit for an organization, because that's also the way that exclusion and bias comes in. We check each other's biases, but we also can, as a team, help manage a person's career success. Because now, instead of one person just making a decision about hiring somebody, we can surround that person with a team of people that chose that person, can advocate on their behalf, make sure they come in with that immediate credibility, and then help support them and advocate for them. Um, throughout their career. And this is really important because we want humans managing other humans and not just leaving it to processes and systems and technology that takes over that. We need humans managing other humans and supporting those humans and being solution builders, not problem solvers, but actually focusing on how do we get there together? And that's another critical point that we, uh, that's a pillar of our, our philosophy. And that is we are solutions focused. We get people focused on what, what I call their GPS de destination. You don't use a GPS to figure out how you got lost, right? How many times do we spend time talking about the problem? Well, that's like saying, I, okay, hey guys, how did we get lost? That's not our goal here. Our goal is to figure out where we want to go. Then we can, you know, we can debate on the different roads and pathways to get there. But what we need to do is become much more solutions focused because that's where those uniquely human capabilities come in, is to build solutions that make companies better. And that's going to be how we also create talent gravity, the talent gravity that's needed to be successful in a, a multicultural, transcultural, and global world.
one of the things that I find fascinating about, you know, and, and we're certainly where we are in the United States, but I would say globally, and I can't really, I don't want to generalize, generalize too much about their, you know, different, different uh, countries, because I think different countries are, are, are different when it comes to problem focused or solutions focused. But we are definitely as a company, a solutions focused company. We talk about solution building all the time. Where this starts is we have to have, we have to focus on a more precise destination. Where do we want to go? We spend a lot of, yes, we spend a lot of time diagnosing the problem, analyzing the problem, living in the problem. And I think in some ways, one of the things that is really dragging down the, the, the discourse in this country and hey, people make money off of this, right? Including, you know, the news media. We focus on problems. We focus on how we got lost. We sit around, we point fingers at each other about how we got lost. And this is why we don't get anywhere. Because what we haven't done is work together to say, what does success look like here? What does, you know, what does the future look like? What is that GPS destination? How do I know when I've gotten there? Um, so we lack we lack vision, a solution built vision, right? The other thing that we have got to address is whether it's employees or citizens, we have to start understanding what leadership looks like. We have confused uh, confidence with actual competence to get things done. We see too often see humility as weakness. Um, we see bravado as, as getting things done, which that's not necessarily true. Um, we need to start understanding and training people on what good leadership really is articulating a vision of how we got there, um, understanding that there's a difference between a change agent and a chaos agent, right? We tend to, you know, watching, a, <laughs> I will confess, yes, I am a Lord of the Rings geek. I'm just going to say it. I'm a Tolkien geek. And I was looking at this wonderful analysis of the difference between, um, I know I'm getting really off, but just, just work with me here. But the difference between um, uh, Morgoth, who came before Sauron, you don't have to be a Tolkien person to understand that one was an agent of chaos and just, just, just chaos for chaos sake. He benefited from it. He didn't care what got destroyed. He didn't care what happened. He, he was chaos for chaos sake. His minion or second in command, Sauron, actually was not a, an agent of chaos, but he was a command and control person. He wanted everything to be the way he wanted it to be. That's a very different kind of, these are two destructive leaders, but there's a difference in the way they operate. And I thought this analysis was really great. And a lot of times we follow agents of chaos because it looks like they're changing things we need change we got to get unstuck 
people feel stuck. So they want to get unstuck. And so they, they look at this, this chaos and they go, Hey, something's happening, but it's just a hydraulic of chaos. It's not actual change, right? Then you've got this other person that is command and control. I have a vision and I need to bend everybody to that vision. That's a different kind of a person. That's a different strategy, but it's also not an inclusive strategy. It's, it's not a, an inclusive leadership strategy. And ultimately, what's interesting about both, you know, Mor- Morgoth and, and, and Sauron is they both get destroyed by the innovation and creativity of these other folks who are trying different, you know, if you look at the history of like, you know, Tolkien's world, they get defeated because because they're inclusive. Ultimately, if you look at the, the Fellowship of the Ring, right, they're inclusive. They come up with less obvious um, ways of, of defeating ultimately uh, evil, you know, or these leaders that are not working for them. And so I think it's a really, it was a very interesting analysis. I'll, I'll, I'll try to send you the link if I can find the link. It's very interesting because I thought it was a very interesting analysis of two types of leaders that we think are really good leaders and we are fooled. We're fooled by their confidence. We're fooled by the fact that it seems like they're inspiring change when they're just really creating chaos. We get comfortable and familiar with somebody who takes command and controls everything we do until we want to do something different until our human capabilities come into play and we want to do something different right so you know i think that we have to start reframing the criteria for what good leadership looks like in the 21st century. And we need to socialize that criteria because I I really feel as though, especially in the business world, we celebrate agents of chaos. We celebrate command and control leadership. Those are the folks that get the movies made, right? Whether it's you know, Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or, and don't get me wrong, these guys have accomplished a lot. I, I certainly appreciate the fact that Elon Musk accomplishes a lot and they they have, you know, they've executed on their vision. But I do not think it's a sustainable, you know, a, a, a sustainable framework for leadership in this century. And I think we better get on it right now. We really focus on creating talent gravity through better management and leadership training that's the first that's that's a big focus of ours as well as rewiring the the entirety of the talent management process so we've just um established partnerships with uh a a company called talent keeper keepers as well as a, a company called Laria, both global companies that help us with data driven and, and again i'm i'm a data scientist back in the day right so i'm a data scientist and a decision scientist and so therefore i focus on data driven management training leadership training and evaluation and promotion we too often rely on our own instincts and our own personal decision making 
in order to promote, evaluate leaders and succession plan planning. What we need is data-driven evaluation and promotion followed by how are we going to make leaders better based on the data that we collect. So we provide fact-based, data-driven performance profiles for leaders and managers, not so we can say, let's get rid of them, but to say, how do we make them better? How do we train them better? Because at the end of the day, you know, MBA programs are still behind in this. They're still stuck in the 20th century. They may have some executive programs that are really moving forward with a lot of this and are forward leaning, but their traditional programs are still stuck back in the 20th century. We need fact-based, performance-focused, data-driven understanding of how to make management and, and, and company leaders all the way to the C-suite and the boardroom better. And that takes a company that is humble enough to realize that we have to start relearning how to manage for the 21st century. And we have services and what we've done is a lot of process innovation where we have taken um, a lot of the uh, leadership products and evaluation products from our partners and put them together in holistic programs that help leaders identify who are the other leaders that are good and who are the next level of leaders that are good and let's improve them. They've got some things that are going on, but let's give them, let's amplify the strengths while helping them with the things they need to work on in order to be better managers. When we start to make that transformation, we start to see that individual contributors are now not only more engaged, but more likely to recommend and they're also getting um, mentored and sponsored and championed by people who actually know how to lead. And that's what our goal is. And I know a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, didn't we start talking about DEI? What does this have to do with DEI? Well, let me tell you, people who tend to be marginalized in these corporate cultures are the ones that are sending up the red flags. It's not that their experience is different it's just more acute, which means if, if they're experiencing poor, the results of poor leadership, if they're experiencing the biases and exclusion because the oper of the operational inefficiencies of a company, you, guaranteed, even the guys who are part of the dominant culture, whether it's white guys or whatever, who is part of you know, the opportunity hoarders in the organization, but to be honest with you, they're also experiencing it. And it's a drag on the culture and a drag on the company's future growth. So for us, it starts with inclusion. It starts with inclusion, inclusive leadership. We provide a lot of that support. And then it's about really thinking about the, the creating talent gravity by rewiring the talent management systems and processes so we can you know, improve the culture, create a positive culture where employees are likely to recommend the employer brand. If you want to find out more, please visit us at letsdowhatmatters.com. Uh, we have a great resources page that you can find resources in terms of 
how to make diverse hires, supplier diversity, just some other things that uh, some thought leadership that we collect that we just, you know, please just come take advantage of that. Check out our services page. We're going to be updating with more services. We're going to be coming up with employee resource group playbooks so that people can really bring employee resource groups uh, into the organization, really help them integrate them into the organizational strategy of the organization. And then um, we're going to also have a few other playbooks that will help uh, create inclusive processes for content production, product product production, innovation, and just basic inclusive meeting management. We're really excited about those, and we're also excited about our, our new partnerships with Talent Keepers and Alaria, which is an inclusion measurement company. They measure inclusive experiences. So what we call is the deep inclusive experiences, and then we use the Talent Keepers to really understand the breadth of engagement and willingness to recommend. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.